This might be a little hard for you to see, but it's a paperweight that is shaped like an anchor. And then I also have a magnifying glass that has the anchor symbol right there on, on the handle. And my daughter gave these to me for Christmas one year because she knows that I like maritime stuff. I know she knows I like things about ships and boats, and, and I have loved ships and boats ever since I was a little kid, and I like to draw pictures of ships when I was younger. And I've always wanted a sailboat and always wanted to go sailing. The problem is I suffer horribly from car sickness and motion sickness of any kind. And so the chances of ever getting on a sailboat and actually sailing are, are pretty much nil, especially if the water's a little rough and the wind's blowing hard. But, but when we lived in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, we had the chance and the opportunity several times to get out on different kinds of boats out on the lake, go boating with friends from the church. And, and, and one year we even rented a boat for our daughter's birthday. And I don't know what you do with the boat, whether you drive it or whatever, but it was the first time I'd ever driven a boat. And uh, we just had a wonderful time as a family and friends out on Lake Coeur d'Alene for our daughter's birthday. And my wife and I have talked about getting a boat someday. And my wife wants one of those pontoon boats, you know, that sit gently on the water and they putter around. And, and you can in, lay on the deck and you can enjoy the, the sea or the water and the view and, and all that goes along with that. And I've always told her that I wanted a sailboat. But her response was kind of like, remember the kid on Christmas Story, that movie, where he wanted a BB gun? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. And uh, knowing that uh, getting on a, on a boat that kind would make me sick. But one year for Christmas, I finally got a sailboat. In fact, I got two sailboats, one for my daughter and one for my wife. This is the one I got for my daughter, and this is the one that I got for my wife. Both of them have scripture passages on it. But the card, the Christmas card that was with the gifts said for my wife, these are the only sailboats you're ever going to get. And, uh, and so these sailboats are on the shelf in my office. I did get more sailboats. I have two pictures of sailboats uh, in my study. And in one of those is a watercolor, beautiful watercolor that my wife Jan painted for me. And uh, then I also have a beautiful large picture that has a picture of a lighthouse. There's three pictures in the frames, and uh, the water's coming up higher on the lighthouse on each one. And I also have a sailboat on my dresser at home. So I did get sailboats. But I want to come back to the anchor, because that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The anchor is a symbol of Christian hope. And when we think of Christian symbols, we most often think of the cross, in fact, the anchor in Christian history predated the cross as a Christian symbol. The anchor became a, creek, uh, a key Christian symbol during the period of the Roman persecution in the first century. Uh, the Christian singer and Bible scholar Michael Card wrote in his album, Soul Anchor. And he said, the first Christian symbol wasn't the cross. It was the anchor. If I'm a first century Christian and I'm hiding in the catacombs, and three of my friends have been just thrown to the lions or burned at the stake or crucified and set ablaze as torches at one of Nero's garden parties. The symbol that most encourages me in my faith is the anchor. When I see it, I am reminded that Jesus is my anchor. 
During the persecution of the first century, you probably know that the Christians often hid in the catacombs that were deep under, underground. The, the catacombs were underground burial places where the symbol of the anchor is repeatedly etched on the tombs of the Christian dead. The anchor is the symbol of their firm hope, their firm hope of an eternal life with their Savior. If you have your Bible handy, please turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 at the 17th verse. In the 6th chapter of Hebrews, the writer is expressing the hope that we have in God who never changes. He never changes his purposes. He never changes when it comes to the promises that he makes to us. And verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 6 says, In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, that would be us who are believers, we are the heirs of the promise, what? The unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Now, don't miss what the writer says next here. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us. There are, there are two great assurances here. During the violent storms of life, when we face persecution or whether we face a pandemic or whatever threatening storm we face, we can take refuge. We can take refuge in God who never changes and never changes his purpose for us, what he wants for us. He never changes his promises, what he has promised to us. We saw that last week in the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the second assurance here is that we have strong assurance to take hold of the hope that is set before us. He says in verse 19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. This is a great word picture here. What does an anchor do? Anchors kept the boats from drifting so both the boats and the passengers could be kept safe. When a boat was in a harbor, it would drop an anchor or sink an anchor, sometimes it's said, and the anchor would grab the sea base and form that tight hold with, with the ship. And so they lowered the anchor And the point or the bill of the anchor would dig dig deeply into the sea floor. And while the anchor was tightly tethered to the boat, this kept the boat from drifting into dangerous shoals or sandbars and, and, and rocks that could be hidden just under the surface. Drifting can happen even in calm water because there's still currents, even in harbor. So what happens if they don't drop an anchor? It's almost a forgotten part of history that Columbus' famed ship, the Santa Maria, did not make the voyage back to Spain. Before returning to Spain, Columbus was on a hunt for what they called portable valuables. That is, valuable objects that were portable, that they could transport back to Queen Isabella. He'd already claimed the entire region as the property of Spain. Now he was seeking commodities like gold and spices and going down the, the shoreline. And on December 24th, Christmas Eve in 1492, not having slept for two days, Columbus decided at 11 p.m. to lie down to sleep. The night being calm, the steersman also decided to sleep. 
leaving only a cabin boy to to steer the ship. No one thought to drop an anchor. With the boy at the helm, the currents gently carried the ship onto a sandbank. It was said by an eyewitness, it was so gently that it could scarcely be felt. The obstacle was not a shoal, but it was a bar, sandbar protruding above the surface. It was beach and waves out there a little ways from, from the shore. The waves were just gently going over it. But the ship was making its way into ever-diminishing shallows and becoming more and more deeply embedded in the sandy bottom. And finally, the boys shouted. In Columbus, the admiral appeared, followed shortly by the captain of the ship. Columbus was the admiral in charge of everything, but there was a captain of the Santa Maria. And the admiral, Columbus, shouted the orders to drop an anchor astern to impede the drift. But the captain and the seamen launched a boat. They cut and run. They they disregarded the admiral's order to drop the anchor, and they launched a boat to the nearby Nina to ask for rescue. And shortly they returned back, accompanied by a boat from the Nina. The idea being perhaps that the two boats might tow the flagship back into deeper water. All efforts failed, and the Santa Maria eventually ran aground and was damaged beyond repair. And this is where the uh, the accounts of the eyewitnesses diverge greatly because everybody wants to blame somebody else. The captains of the Santa Maria and the Nina blamed the loss of the Santa Maria on Columbus. After all, he was the first one to go to sleep and he should have dropped an anchor immediately then before he went to bed. Then, of course, the captain wasn't going to take the blame. So when Columbus finally gave the order, the captain and his crew cut and run, as it were, and tried to get help from the Nina. All the while, during that time, the Santa Maria could have been saved very easily by simply dropping an anchor. They were all more interested in whose fault this was than saving the ship. Does that sound familiar in a pandemic? More interested in whose fault it is than actually saving? Well, when the Nina and the Pinta set sail to return to Spain, they had to leave several sailors behind on the shore because there's not enough space on the two remaining ships. Of course, the Santa Maria was the larger ship, and they just had two smaller ships to take uh, whatever cargo they had and sailors back. And so when Columbus returned to that very spot on his second voyage to the New World, there was no evidence that the sailors had ever been there. In fact, it is said there's no evidence of anything of the Santa Maria being in there. Everything disappeared, and these sailors literally vanished somehow into the rainforest and were all lost. And if there's that much danger in calm waters when the anchor is not dropped, how much more is there in a violent storm and the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing? And the ship is getting battered, it's getting beaten, but the writer of the Hebrews says, we can take hold, we can take hold In Christ, we have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us, just like the ship is strongly tethered to the anchor. The hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. No matter how violent the storm is, when we go through the storms of life, we can take refuge in Christ. We have an anchor of the soul. We have a hope that is both sure and steadfast. And it's an anchor that gives us strong encouragement so we can take hold of the hope set before us 
Now, with the anchor symbolism and all that that meant to the first century Christians who were being persecuted and, and killed, you would think that such an encouraging and meaningful symbol would be mentioned often in God's word. The Bible has plenty to say about storms and the storms of life and the disciples being out on a boat. More than one time, Jesus saved their lives in a storm. It talks a lot about surviving these storms and weathering the storms. And God's word has plenty to say about faith during these storms. But there's only one other place in the Bible that mentions anchors. Only one other place. It's over in Acts chapter 27. In Acts chapter 27 is the, the one single place that anchors are mentioned. We see how the hope of the anchor of our souls is played out in real life in the 27th chapter of Acts. So please turn to Acts chapter 27. We'll begin at verse 13 as I'll read it. And this, this passage reads like a great story because it's real life, but it just has all the intensity and suspense of a good story. And so I'm just going to read it. And then I'm going to point out four anchors that were sure and steadfast to which Paul held on to. And we'll also see that there were four anchors that failed and the ship was actually lost. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is being taken as prisoner to Rome where he faced trial. And he warned the captain that because of the time of the year and the storms that time of year, it would be, not, it would be best not to set sail and to find and seek safe harbor until the winter was over, but the passengers and the crew were intent on sailing to Rome. And we pick it up in verse 13. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, that, you know, it's, it's, the wind's blowing in the right direction, they weighed anchor, that means they pulled up the anchors, and they began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uroquillo, which means literally a northeaster. We hear a lot about those in our part, or over in the eastern part of our country. And when the wind was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clotta, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting. The ship's boat was the small boat, the skiff. They, uh, they, they used cables and undergirding the ship, fearing that they might run aground in the shallows of Sirtis. They let down the sea anchor, and in this way let themselves be driven along. A sea anchor is just a heavy weight that when they're out in the deeper water, they drop that heavy weight just to, to steady the ship. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice, and not to have set sail from Crete, and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of God, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. 
Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. But when the fourteenth night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther, they, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors. There's our four anchors right there from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors are trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Here's these guys. They wanted, wanted to cut and run. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. That's the skiff again. Until that day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they them also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they had observed a bay with a beach and resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they let them into the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves." The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And it so happened that they were all brought safely to land. Verse 29 says that in an effort to save their ship, the brave crew cast four anchors from the stern and waited for daybreak. And sadly, those anchors failed and the ship was ultimately lost. However, there was a man on board named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was a special man for simple reasons. First of all, Paul was a child of God. He was a child of God. He belonged to God. Second, he was a man on a mission. God had something for him to do in Rome. Thirdly, he was a man of faith. And he was, fourthly, in fellowship with God. And because of who he was, he was the kind of man you would want on that ship. He was the kind of man that you would want on any ship, or symbolically in the storms of life. Because of who he was, Paul was anchored in the midst of the storm, even when the ship wasn't anchored well enough. These sailors threw four anchors into the sea in an attempt to save the ship, and these anchors failed. But Paul had four anchors as well. 
And these anchors steadied him during the storm. When the ship was falling apart, and everybody was falling apart except Paul, when the ship was shaken and battered, Paul was able to stand steadily and strong. And these are the very same anchors that are available to you and to me. As we face the COVID-19 pandemic and every other storm that comes our way, we can get a hold and have these exact same four anchors. And the first anchor Paul was tethered to is the presence of God. The presence of God. We see that anchor in verse 23. After urging the men to keep up their courage, he says to them in verse 23, For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. That angel reminded Paul that God was with him in all of this. Paul belonged to God. He was a child of God. He was a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of the living God. He was one of God's own. And Jesus promised all who are his, what? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is encouraging news, not only for Paul, but for everybody else. Paul could tell the men on the ship to have courage because Paul knew that as one of God's own, he would never face an instant of his life alone. None of us as God's children will ever face a single instant of life, instant of life alone. We may be physically alone in our homes in isolation, self-isolating, or alone with a family member or two but none of you are alone if you're in Christ. God is with you. And since you are not alone, those in your home are not alone either. Because you are there and God is with you. Every step you take, every valley you walk, every storm you face, as a believer, you are graced with God's presence. You are graced with God's presence. Even when we can't see him, he's still there. He's guiding. He's watching. He's protecting. He's being God. I was reading a sermon this past week, and the pastor that wrote the sermon uh, quoted Dr. Tony Campolo, who was a popular speaker when I was in youth ministry many, many years ago now. And I remembered reading this story in one of books that, that Tony Campolo had written. And uh, Dr. Campolo said that when he was a boy growing up in the congested and bustling city of Philadelphia, his mother arranged for a teenage girl who lived nearby to walk home with him at the end of the day. And for this, she was paid a nickel a day, or 25 cents a week. And you go, well, that's not very much money. I was thinking this week when my first allowance was 25 cents. And 25 cents would get me into the Ideal Theater, which is now the Frontier Theater here in Emmett. And for 25 cents, I could get into the theater, I could buy a bag of popcorn, and I could buy one of those great big suckers. That, that made a great day, you know, for my 25 cent allowance. So she was paid a nickel a day, but uh, young Tony rebelled against this in the second grade. And he told his mother, I'll walk myself home from school, and if you'll give me a nickel a week... I will be careful. You can keep the other 20 cents, and we'll all be better off. Doesn't that sound like something a second grader would say? And after a period of pleading and begging, little Tony finally got his way. 
And for the next two years, he walked himself back and forth to school. It was an eight-block walk in a bad part of town. There were many streets to cross, but he was careful not to talk to strangers or get distracted along the way. Years later, at a family party, when the family got together, Tony bragged about his independence, and he reminded his family of how he had taken care of himself as a boy. And his mother laughed and added the rest of the story. Do you think you were really alone? She asked. Every morning when you left for school, I left with you. I walked behind you all the way. When you got out at 3.30 in the afternoon, I was there. I always kept myself hidden, but I was there, and I followed you all the way home. I just wanted you, I just wanted to be there for you in case you needed me. The first anchor is the presence of God. The second anchor is the promises of God. And we see this anchor in verses 24 and 25 of Acts chapter 27, where the angel told Paul, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, Paul said to the men, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. The angel was reminding Paul of what God had already promised. If you turn back to the 23rd chapter here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 23, Paul has was about ready to be killed by a crowd and the uh, a Roman centurion came and saved Paul from the crowd, and now he's standing before the Jewish council. And, and the crowd is so violent and so outraged that, that Paul's Roman guard thought the crowd would tear Paul to pieces. So the guard took Paul away from them by force and put him in the Roman barracks. They figured that was the safest place for him. So he was in the Roman barracks. Now notice in, the, in verse 11 of Acts chapter 23, not only is the Lord present with Paul, the Lord makes a, pres a, a, a promise. But on the night immediately following, you know, that he was arrested that night, the Lord stood at his side and said, notice, this is not an angel this time, this is the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also, what does this mean? Paul knew he wasn't going to die in a shipwreck on the way to Rome. God told him he would bear witness of Christ in Rome. So Paul laid a hold of the promise of God and he held on to that promise that Paul would not be lost and the Lord further affirmed that none on the ship would be lost. So Paul weathered the storm with God's promises. Now, it doesn't mean that God's always going to save our life physically, but he does promise, God does promise us this, that our life will not end until he has fulfilled all of his purposes in us, right? Nothing can shorten the days that God has for each one of us. You may have heard the name Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey was the song evangelist for Dwight L. Moody's Crusades. Uh, he wrote a lot of hymns. He published uh, several hymn books in his lifetime. Uh, we have four hymns in our hymn book, including uh, Faith is the Victory, that was written by Ira Sankey. And it was Christmas Eve in 1875, 
And Ira Sankey was traveling on the Delaware River on, on a steamboat. And he was recognized by some of the passengers on that steamboat. And they came up to him and they asked him to sing one of his own hymns, one of the hymns that he had written. But Sankey began to sing William Bradbury's hymn, Savior Like a, or Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. And he sang, as he sang, one of the stanzas began, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. And when he finished, a man stepped from the shadows and asked, Did you ever serve in the Union Army? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered, in the spring of 1860. And he said, Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered with much surprise. And the man said, So did I, but I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away alive. I was standing in the shadow, and I raised my musket to take aim, and I was completely concealed while the full light of the moon was shining on you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing. And I thought, let him sing his song to the end. I said to myself, I'm going to shoot him afterwards. He's my victim at all events, and my bullet cannot miss him. But the song you sang was the song that you just sang now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. And the man said, those words stirred up many memories. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that song to me. When you finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arms dropped to my own accord and dropped down limp at my side. Wouldn't it be great if we ended each day with a prayer, God, thank you for protecting me in those moments today that I wasn't even aware of. You know, we'll thank God for when we have a close call on the highway and we get cut off and God saves us from a wreck and, and those kind of things. But I don't think we have any idea of what God protects us from every day at every moment. Wouldn't it be great just in the prayer or our prayer at night to say, God, thank you for protecting me in those times that I didn't even know I needed protection. And the third anchor that Paul held tightly to is the providence of God. The providence of God. Verse 24 of Acts chapter 27. The angel said to Paul, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. The storm was part of God's plan in his providence for Paul's life. If Paul had not been on that particular ship at that particular time, all of them would have been lost on that ship. But God is saying, this was all part of my plan. And at that moment of time, the storm was the safest place in the world to be for Paul. Why? Because he was in the will of God. And God was working in a mighty way in that situation to bring about Paul's or God's will for Paul's life. And you know, God is doing the same thing in your life and in mine as well. 
He is in absolute control of everything that happens in your life. And as long as you know that he orders the storm, you can weather the storm. And the fourth purpose, or the fourth anchor, is the purposes of God. For I believe God, Paul said, that it will turn out exactly as he told it to be. In God's providential care, we understand that God will fulfill his purposes for us. But it's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? It's so easy to lose our focus. Satan has so many things that he tries to throw at us to get us to lose our focus of why we are here and what God is doing in us and through us. And he puts so many distractions in our way. And when he does, then it's hard to keep our focus when we're distracted and all these things are going on. Someone once said, when you're up to your neck in alligators, it's difficult to keep your mind on the fact that your primary objective is to drain the swamp. Satan doesn't want us to know what our primary objective is. And he'll use anything he can, any tactic that he has, to get us to lose focus, to lose our purpose. And it doesn't always have to be a bad thing like a pandemic. We can get up and caught up in good things and lose our, our main focus, our main purpose. Maybe that's one of the reasons that God has allowed the virus. I don't know, but, but that we might remember our true purpose as believers. We cannot survive, as it were, without staying focused on our main objective. Would it be end up like the, the store that had a sign on its door that said, gone out of business, didn't know what my business was? When Satan throws all the distractions he can at our way, we can look him in the eye and tell him, I'm not going to lose my focus. I'm not going to lose my focus. So what should our focus be? What is our purpose? The epidemic hasn't changed our purpose as a church, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, hasn't changed it one bit. It can be summed up in two ways, two statements, very simply. We are to know God and we are to win others to Christ. That really sums it all up. We are to know God. We are to win others to Christ. We are here to know Christ and to show him to those around us. We are to love like Christ. We are to care like Christ. We are to serve like Christ. But Satan doesn't want us to know that. And we must work hard to keep our purpose and remain focused. When we do, we'll have an anchor that will keep us settled in the storm. As we're hunkered down in our homes, we must remember that we can anchor ourselves with courage in spite of whatever our sphere and whatever our storm is. And we can still, in a multitude of ways, remember what our purpose is and what God wants us to do. To know God. Paul said, oh, to know him and the power of his resurrection. To know God more deeply, more intimately. To grow in him, to grow in Christ likeness and then to make God known to others and that's as simple as making a phone call somebody that God put on your mind or somebody that you know might have a need or somebody who is lonely and whether it's physical or, or emotional or spiritual we can pray for others over the phone we can keep them in mind and pray for them but we also need to let them know we are praying for them 
And we can still fulfill our purpose of knowing Christ and making him known. And when we do that, we will triumph over any storm that comes our way because the anchor holds. The anchor holds. Heavenly Father, as we close this time together in worship, Father, we thank you that we have that strong anchor in Jesus Christ, Father. I pray that everyone listening, everyone in the sound of my voice today, Lord, would be able to get a hold of the anchor of Jesus Christ, Father. We pray that your Holy Spirit is working in hearts and minds, Father, that you would lead others to Jesus Christ, that you would show us how we can better know you, Father, to know you intimately in a way that we will show Christ to others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. And may God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May he keep you in perfect peace. Amen and amen.